Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. Morning, everybody. Um, when I was growing up, my friends and I were obsessed with music, and so one of the, my favorite things that we always did was we went to concerts. Um, and when you've listened to somebody's album, and when, especially when you're a teenager, and uh, you idolize somebody and see pictures and videos of them for years, to finally see them walk out on stage is absolutely magical, uh, especially for a 16 or 17-year-old um, that has everything written on their binder and t-shirts and everything. Um, still gets me to this day, being in a concert and being in an arena and seeing the actual person walk out on stage. But even then, there's still this degree of separation because you're in the crowd and the person is on stage and so you're not actually engaging. And so the holy grail is to actually have an interaction with one of these celebrities or artists or musicians. And special people get VIP backstage passes to actually go back after the concert to engage with the artist or the musician or whatever. But peasants like me, uh, all you can do is after the show, run with your friends behind the venue to try to track down their tour bus and wait behind whatever fence or post or whatever to just see if you can catch a glimpse of them. Uh, I have a couple heads nodding, so you guys know what I'm talking about. You've done this before. You've waited for hours and thought, maybe, just maybe, I can get an autograph or whatever. Turn with me in your Bibles to John 12. Uh, If you have your Bible, please open it up. If you're watching on the live stream, please grab your Bible. I'm going to be referencing this passage that Charlie read a lot this week. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, please open up with me in your bulletin to that page where the gospel reading is. John 12 is the point in John's gospel where Holy Week begins. This last week of Jesus' life that's the climax of all history. And before we go anywhere else, Isn't it fascinating that half of the Gospel of John is Holy Week? We make a big deal about Holy Week at our church, and some of you might be like, why does Christ Church make such a big deal about this? Well, John spent a half of his Gospel on it, so that's pretty special. But it all begins in verse 12 uh, with the triumphal entry. So if you don't have your Bible, the story right before the story that we read is the triumphal entry. Palm Sunday, the day that we're going to celebrate next Sunday, For our passage, what's important to notice about this scene, the triumphal entry, is that it's Jesus' big public bursting out onto the scene's moment. So it's like the pop star finally coming out on stage before an arena, before anticipating cheering crowd. All this happens in verses 12 to 19, but now look what comes immediately after the triumphal entry in our passage this morning. So look with me at verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So Jesus enters Jerusalem like a king on Palm Sunday. The crowds all watched, and then afterwards, a couple Greeks come up, and they want more. They weren't satisfied just to be in the crowd in the arena, This is the Greeks, after the big thing, running behind the venue to try to find the tour bus to see if they can get an actual interaction with the king who rode in on the donkey. And there are a few things I want us to see about this uh, that I wonder if we can relate to. First of all, there's this really beautiful fascination and curiosity 
that these guys have. They've come to Jerusalem to worship for the feast, so we do know that these guys had a spiritual journey uh, of some type. They had this movement in them that they were walking with. I want to find out who this God of Israel is. We can assume they saw Jesus from afar, but they don't want to just see Jesus from the crowd. They're curious. They want more. They want a personal interaction. And I wonder if you relate to that wonder or that curiosity to not just see Jesus from the crowd, but to want a face-to-face. We wish to see Jesus, is what they say. And that is, you should just underline that in your bulletin. We wish to see Jesus. So maybe you're here this morning, or maybe you're watching on the live stream this morning, um, and you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, but you're curious. So maybe you grew up in a religious family, but not that religious, but enough that you want to kind of turn over the stone. Or maybe you have a friend who's a super intense Christian, and it doesn't make any sense, and you're like, I kind of do just want to know what Jesus is all about. And you're thinking, I wonder if I could get a contact with Jesus. I wonder if I could interact with him. Maybe you would describe yourself as a Jesus follower, but you feel like you're in the crowd and Jesus is on stage. There's this distance. You're in the crowd of earth and Jesus is on like the rock star stage of heaven, but you don't engage with him. And you have a sense that prayers are not meant to feel like fan mail that never gets answered, you know, or like commenting on someone's tweet on Twitter that doesn't care because you're one of the 100,000 likes or whatever. And you think, I, it seems to me like other Christians have a VIP access to Jesus. Like I can tell there are certain people in my, my life that like, I think you actually spent time with Jesus. You talk about him like you know him, but you're like, that doesn't seem like it feels with me. So do you relate to the request? We wish to see Jesus. They don't want Jesus' glory far off. They want to experience it in person. They want to taste it like Nacho Libre. They want a little taste of the glory. Another thing I think we see in this is hope. Um, these guys are Greeks, which means they're not Jews, which means though they are being drawn to the God of Israel, they by nature of their ethnicity do not have the same access to the God of Israel that the Jews do. And not only that, we know that Jew and Gentile relationships at this time were troubled. There was racial tension and prejudice between these two groups. And so to be a Greek and to be drawn to the God of Israel would have been complicated, to say the least. This is similar to the tensions that the African-American church has always felt and still feels, having been first exposed to the Bible and to the gospel, in some cases, by white slave masters. Can you imagine processing your spiritual hunger in a context like that? So I wonder if for the Greeks, they felt drawn to the beautiful character of God, but there was all this cultural baggage in the way that made it complicated. And I wonder if from what they had heard about Jesus, because you can tell in the Gospels, people would always hear, maybe Jesus could heal me, Maybe he's accepting, maybe he's whatever. Maybe they saw him. If I could just talk to him, maybe he transcends all the cultural baggage. 
Do you identify with that hope? If you're a person of color, maybe the Jew-Gentile thing makes a lot of sense to you. But even beyond that, maybe just identify with the idea of cultural baggage making Christianity complicated. And since you're drawn to Jesus, you actually do have a hunger for God. You want to know what Jesus is all about. But there's just piles of cultural muck that a lot of it has been kicked up by 2020 in the way. Political baggage, family baggage, social media baggage, cultural baggage. Maybe you identify with that idea. If I could just get to the source, maybe I could cut through all that. Maybe there's something real and true behind it all. So we have curiosity and we have hope here, um, which you might identify with, but then there's also this theme of hiddenness and inaccessibility. For whatever reason, the Greeks do not go straight to Jesus. That's important. Did they fear him like I fear? I saw a celebrity once walk into a bar that I was in, and I was like, he walked up right next to me. I had no idea what to say. Maybe they're just scared, so they go to Philip first. Maybe they couldn't find him. They don't know how to access him. I don't know. Check out verse 21. So these, the Greeks, came to Philip. There's one who was from beside in Galilee, blah, blah, blah. They tell him we wish to see Jesus. Verse 22, Philip goes and tells Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So there's these layers of contact. I can't help but seeing Andrew and Philip here as like bouncers with little squiggly earpieces and suits standing like this in front of like Jesus's cabana, you know, <laughs> like the poolside party. They have to go, they tell somebody else who tells somebody else. Do you identify with the inaccessibility there? Nothing is lost on gospel writers. Nothing is there for no reason. That's really interesting and we'll see why in a second. So maybe you have a feeling that you do want a face-to-face, but you don't know where to start. I don't know how to see Jesus, actually interact with him. I once was a youth intern at a large megachurch, and my uh, youth pastor was a very ambitious early 2000s, like, psych-up-the-momentum youth pastor. I was a youth intern. I was 20 years old or something, and I came to work one week, and on my to-do list was to contact Michael Vick, the quarterback, and Stephanie Meyer, who wrote the Twilight novels. And this is when those were massive. Because Michael Vick was in trouble for dog fighting, and Stephanie Meyer was, you know, the bee's knees then. And so I was supposed to get in contact with them to see if they would come and talk at our, like, church. And I'm like, I'm 20. Like, do you expect me to be able to access celebrities? Like, how do you do that? Um, And it didn't happen because I had no idea where to start. And like, I didn't have that ability. Reaching celebrities is actually not that easy if you've ever tried. And if reaching celebrities is hard, I think sometimes we have the same sense with God. I wouldn't even know how to do that. Do I Google how to do that? Um, Do I just have to do something in particular? We wish to see Jesus is where this passage starts. We're fascinated, we wanna get closer, we're hopeful. We wanna cut through all the baggage. And we're struggling to reach him, we need help. Now how do you think Jesus would respond? Sure, bring him in. 
I'm the son of man. I welcome everybody. Are you kidding? I'd love to see these guys. Or maybe um, Andrew and Philip, just check my calendar. I think I might have something open next Tuesday breakfast. Maybe I can see them then. Have, have them come back at that point. Look what he says. In response to their question, verse 23, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. What? <laughs> if I'm Andrew and Phil, I'm like, wow, that was absolutely profound and beautiful, and I need to think about that for a long time, but do you want to see these, <laughs> these Greeks? <laughs> it seems random and tangential, right? What's the point? It seems random, but it is not random. Everything Jesus says is his answer to their question, to their hope, to their curiosity, and to the hiddenness of God. And even though it may not seem like it, it's actually Jesus' answer to us, if you're feeling any of these things. And if I could summarize his answer in all these verses, he's essentially saying, and we'll, we'll pull this out because it is dense, he's essentially saying, you want to see me, the answer is yes, meet me at the cross. You want to get past all the cultural baggage and get to the heart of the living God, meet me at the cross. You want to see my glory personally in all its fullness and beauty and power, that's exactly why I've come to Jerusalem, is to give you that chance, meet me at the cross. The basic idea here is if, you, if you're a note taker and a point taker, there's two points I want to pull out of this. The basic idea, if I could sum it up, is we see and access Jesus' glory in his death. We see and access Jesus' glory in his death. So let's go back to his answer because I want us to look and see how Jesus is weaving all this together, how the hour of his death is this hour of his glory and how it's also the hour of access, the hour that he actually is drawing the Greeks to see him. Um, verse 23. This is how he begins to their, to their question. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He begins talking about his glory. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So somehow he's just shifted from the hour of his glory to talking about death and a death that's fruitful. And somehow that has to do with the Greek's question. And then as Jesus continues to speak, we see him meditating on his suffering and on the cross, and it starts to emotionally affect him. He starts to get choked up. This is one of the most moving passages in the Bible. Verse 27, now is my soul troubled. It's the hour of the Son of Man to be glorified. It's the hour of my death, and my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So like Gethsemane, we get this stunning peek into Jesus' humanity here, his inner turmoil. He knows the cross is ahead of him. He's tempted to get out of the way and not have to go to the cross. And yet he courageously submits to the Father. And when he says, Father, glorify your name, he's essentially saying, thy will be done. And then the Father thunders from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. And so here we have both the Father and the Son confirming that Jesus' death and all its injustice and weakness is indeed the hour of the glory of God. Yet even so, okay, that's amazing to see all that connections here in this passage. It would still be easy, though, to think that this was a tangent and that he was speaking something random because they just wanted to see him. All of it comes together in verse 32. And if there's one, one verse here that ties everything together, I know I'm doing a lot of Bible stuff with you. We're gonna bring our head up for air in a second. But in verse 32 is the summary of everything. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. John tells us he's speaking about his cross. And anytime you see the word all and people in the Bible, that's like Jew and Gentile. All nations, tribes, and tongues. So Jesus is saying, when I am lifted up on the cross, that's the moment that I'm going to draw all people to myself. And that is the answer for the Greeks. Do you really want to face to face with me? Meet me at the cross. When I am lifted up, you'll see. You'll have an opportunity to see. So let's get back to where you and I are at. Thanks for tracking with me. This is a really beautiful, dense passage. Are you curious about what Jesus is all about? Has your spiritual hunger moving you somewhere? Then do you hear what Jesus is saying? Meet him at the cross. The cross is where all the hidden treasures of divine wisdom are opened it's where all the mysteries are revealed it's at that place do you want a deeper intimacy with jesus you want to go from maybe somebody that you just feel like you're in the crowd of adorers on earth and jesus is in heaven but you've never had this connection with him hear what jesus is saying meet him at the cross the cross is the place that God's heart is fully opened to you personally. 
that his presence is made fully available. You know those barriers at airports and clubs and venues and stuff that like have metal stanchions and then velvet ropes? You know, in the classic thing where like everybody's on the side of the rope and then a VIP person comes up and like the attendant like unclicks it and like allows them to walk through and clicks it back. You guys know what I'm talking about? That's exactly what Jesus' death, that is the cross, that's what the cross does for all people between the divine joy and life of God and our frail humanity. You remember what happened when Jesus died? The curtain of the temple was ripped. There was an opening, there was a breach that was made. A doorway to God himself was opened up in that space. Do you want to cut through all the cultural baggage to go back to that idea, to that idea of hope? See if there's anything left in the Christian faith that has not been politicized or commodified by the world and get to the heart of our faith and meet Jesus at the cross. In the past year, uh, which was crazy, I tried to spend as much time as I could equally in left and right internet worlds just to hear what people were saying. Uh, which was a scarring experience, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> but I can promise you, neither there's not an internet bubble in the world that's preaching the cross. Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the right and foolishness to the left. We see and access Jesus' glory in his death. That is where it's all about. Let me say it in negative. You cannot see and access Jesus' glory apart from his death. You cannot see and access Jesus' glory apart from his death. If the cross is the place of God's glory, if it is the place of access and invitation, then that means you will never truly see him through any other way. He and the fullness of his glory will continue to remain hidden and inaccessible to you if you try to get to him through any other way. You want to see something fascinating? Open your gospel passage and look at your gospel passage in John 12. Look at how Jesus finishes this entire discourse. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Fascinating. He doesn't meet the Greeks, even after his speech. What does he do? The opposite. He hides himself. But he's not doing that to be mean. He is proving his point. He's biding his time and saying, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. You will see me at the cross, but you will not see me any other way. Isn't that fascinating? The cross is the keyhole to the majesty and the splendor of God. The cross is the doorway to the heart of God. And you cannot see or access any of it apart from the cross. Amen?
But now I want to finish by applying this deeper. If the cross is an opening, if the cross is an invitation to God, like an unlocked door to a backstage green room VIP access with Jesus himself, then how do we walk through it? It's one thing to peer through the curtain that was torn in the temple. Imagine you went to the temple after Jesus' crucifixion and you saw the curtain to the Holy of Holies torn open. It would be one thing to look through it, right? Can you imagine not being the high priest who gets to go in once a year, just being a normal person and peering through to the Holy of Holies? I mean, mind-boggling, right? That would be one thing. It would be another thing entirely to step into it, into the presence of God, into the glory of God. So how do we walk through it? Lucky for us, Jesus tells us in this passage, right after he opens up and he talks about his glorious death, look at verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So immediately after talking about his death and his glory, he switches to talking about the call and cost of discipleship. And the language he uses is parallel to Jesus' notion of picking up our cross. And this is Jesus' figurative concept of dying to self, of denying oneself and following Jesus. This is simply Jesus asking us to do what he did when he said, not my will, but yours be done. Father, glorify your name. It's when we say in our life, Father, glorify your name. And what happens when we do this? Did you catch it? This is huge. It's right there in verse 26. This would have been so hopeful if these guys relayed this to the Greeks. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And what, where I am, there will my servant be also. In other words, you don't just get to see Jesus, you get to be with Jesus. So we might summarize what he's saying like this. Again, if you're a note taker, the first point is we see and access Jesus' glory in his death. The second point from this, we enter into Jesus' glory in our death. We see and access Jesus' glory in his death we enter into Jesus' glory in our death. The cross is the open door. It's the opening in the velvet ropes and stanchions. But it's by our own self-denial that we enter in, further up and further in. And the greater extent to which we die to ourselves, the greater extent we, do we get to enter into the glory of God. Let me say this negatively. You cannot enter into Jesus' glory apart from your death. You can't do it. There's no other way. Sadly, I think too often we do come to the cross and we see Jesus. We see the opening in the door. We get a glimpse of his glory, kind of like looking through the opening in the Holy of Holies. But we remain like people who, who stay on the outside outside of the venue, just watching, outside of the Holy of Holies, just peering into it because we cling to our life. 
many people were impressed with Jesus and saw Jesus and walked away. And I see that in Madison, Wisconsin all the time. I also see it in myself. And so Jesus calls us not just to meet him at the cross as a spectator, but as a participant. Meet me at the cross and bring your own while you're at it. That's what he means when he says, pick up your cross. Meet me at the cross. Come to participate in it. Bring your own cross with you. There's a lot of glory I want you to see. There's a lot of freedom I want you to experience and live into. And that is exactly what we'll be doing as we set our faces towards Jerusalem in Holy Week. We get to spend the next two weeks, next Sunday is Passion Sunday, leading up to Good Friday, we are gonna meet Jesus at the cross. We're gonna lay our burdens down. We're gonna walk that road with him. And that's what we're gonna do for the rest of this service is contemplate and worship Jesus and come to his table and consider what he did on the cross and worship him there. So if you're any of these things where you feel this curiosity or this hope or this hunger, I encourage you to lean in, continue to journey to the one place where you can see and access and enter into the glory of the living God. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.